Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you get your podcasts. How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. Samsung Neo QLED 8K. Unreasonably good. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome to the Matt Lombardo Show, part of the Stacking the Box podcast. Please welcome your host, Matt Lombardo. What's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the Matt Lombardo Show right here inside Fansided Stacking the Box podcast feed. I'm Fansided's national NFL insider, Matt Lombardo. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Great to have you here. We have an awesome action-packed show on tap for you this week. Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan will join us in just a little bit. We'll preview the game of the year in the AFC and a game that I can't wait to watch this Sunday afternoon leading up to Chiefs-Buffalo Bills on Sunday night. But I think we have to start inside the NFC West, which very well might be the most dominant and most competitive division in the NFL. And you're starting to see that race really solidify and come into focus, especially after what we saw on Thursday night. But before we get into all of that, as always, a little bit of housekeeping for you. If you enjoy the podcast, I'd really like it if you went ahead and subscribed in the Apple Podcast Store to the Stacked in the Box podcast. You get Matt Verderam and Mark Carmen on Tuesdays and the Matt Lombardo Show every Friday afternoon. And if you really enjoy the show, if you love the guests, if you love the analysis then please go ahead and leave a five-star review in the Stack in the Box podcast feed in the Apple Podcast Store and mention the Matt Lombardo Show. Let me know who your MVP is so far through the first four to five weeks of the NFL season and give me a guest or two that you would love to hear on the podcast and I'll go try to get them. But let's get right into it this week talking about the NFC West. And this is a division that everybody knew was probably going to send two, maybe even three teams to the NFC playoffs. And after what we saw on Thursday night, it's really a shame that all four probably won't make it in. But there's a a very clear roadmap, a very clear path, a very clear set of attributes that you need to win that division. And I think that what we saw in the Rams' 26-17 win over the Seahawks in Seattle is that Los Angeles might be the most balanced team, not only in that division, but one of the three or four most balanced teams in the entire NFL. They can beat you in all three phases, which is absolutely paramount to winning in any division, let alone a division that has the Rams, the Arizona Cardinals, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Seahawks. I mean, you look at that offensive line in L.A., They've only given up three sacks leading into Thursday night. They're playing some of the best football of any line in the entire league. And for as much as we talk about all of the high-flying aerial attacks that we've seen out of Los Angeles in the last couple of years, for all the talk that Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and Deshaun Jackson get, at their core, the Rams want to beat you on the ground. They want to ground and pound you to death in a similar way to the way the Cleveland Browns win over on the AFC side of the bracket. And they have two running backs. We saw it on Thursday in Daryl Henderson and Sonny Michelle, who are more than capable of playing that style of football, more than capable of powering an offense. I mean, you just look at what happened the other night, 
And Daryl Henderson, 17 carries, 82 yards, and a score. Sony Michelle, 11 carries, 37 yards, and a touchdown of his own. That's how the Rams win. That's what the Rams do. And everything that they do on offense seems to funnel through the running game to set up the pass. And for explosive as Deshaun Jackson still is, you saw that 45-yard bomb down the sideline for as dominant as Cooper Cup is, especially over the middle of the field. He had a couple of really nice clutch catches coming back to the ball on Thursday. And for as explosive as Robert Woods is at times on the outside, all three of them block. None of them are afraid to get dirty in the running game. And that's what you see out of unselfish offenses. And that's what you see out of running games that can be effective both between the tackles and bouncing it outside. The Rams have that formula. But maybe more importantly, what you saw on Thursday night is that the Rams can play complementary football as good or better than anybody in the league. I mean, you look in the first half of that game, Matthew Stafford rolling out and just underthrows a ball where it looked like he was trying to throw it away. And rather than just tossing it into the 10th row, it gets picked off in the end zone. And you just wonder, okay, what's going to happen here? Well, what happened here is three plays later, Jalen Ramsey tips the ball up in the air and it gets intercepted by the Rams. No muss, no fuss, no harm, no foul. That's how championship teams win in the NFL, by picking up the offense when the defense needs it and vice versa. You look at that front seven, and you saw it on Thursday night. Aaron Donald, still unblockable. He gets a sack in that game, becomes the leading sack artist all time. In Rams franchise history, Leonard Floyd just screaming off the edge, all kinds of speed from the outside linebacker spot. And you're, as an offensive line, an opposing offensive line, you have to figure out a way to neutralize Aaron Donald and keep Leonard Floyd at bay. (laughs) Good luck with that. And when Jalen Ramsey isn't making plays on the back end of that defense, and when Aaron Donald isn't being a disruptive force along the interior, maybe the most dominant player in all of football, regardless of position, when that defense isn't doing its thing, when the offense isn't slinging it all over the yard, as Matthew Stafford did on Thursday, they'll beat you on special teams. They blocked a punt. Now, I get it that Hendricks picked up the ball and double punted it and somehow got away with it. Even though he was two or three yards past the line of scrimmage, mind you, he still got away with a double punt. The Rams blocked it. They make plays in all phases. And you look around. You look around at the rest of that division in the NFC West, and you have one of the best front sevens in football in San Francisco, and you have Nick Bosa, who's a game wrecker. You have Eric Armstead. You have all of these players on the front seven of the San Francisco 49ers, and they have weapons on offense, too. They have lots of speed. Debo Samuel will beat you. George Kittle is one of the two or three most explosive tight ends in the game and one of the better pass catchers at that position. But who knows what you have at quarterback? Jimmy Garoppolo was banged up last week. Trey Lance, I think the ceiling is really high for Trey Lance. And I don't know that there's a quarterback that's ever entered a better situation than a Super Bowl caliber roster with Kyle Shanahan as your head coach. But up to that point, Jimmy Garoppolo was wildly inconsistent, really struggled to close out wins. But they have a defense that's going to beat you and pound you into submission. And then you look at the Arizona Cardinals, who might be one of the more fun teams in the league. Kyler Murray looks like an absolute MVP. DeAndre Hopkins, all the speed in the world. Chase Edmonds in the backfield. You look at what they have on defense, and Chandler Jones might be the defensive player of the year. He bursts onto the scene in week one and gets five sacks. Just been an absolute game wrecker through the first five weeks. But 
can they do it in clutch time? We've seen this movie before with the Arizona Cardinals. They'll get off to a fast start and they might go, you know, five and three or six and two through the first half. And then if it's anything like last year, the wheels come off. But I will say, I think Cliff Kingsbury has figured it out. I think he's figured out how to maximize his personnel, figured out how to get the most out of Kyler Murray. But they're a team where I think you can throw on them a little bit. You can throw on the Arizona Cardinals. And last week, they beat the Rams. They punched them in the mouth. They took care of business and really shut down Matthew Stafford and that offense. But I just look at what we saw against the Seahawks on Thursday night and the way that the Rams just dismantled them in all three phases. Sean McVay, I think, is the most accomplished of the head coaches in that division. Matthew Stafford, along with Kyler Murray, already authoring MVP caliber resumes so far. I don't know that you're going to get three teams in. You're certainly going to get two. But I think that what we've seen out of the Rams over the last couple of weeks, I think that they're the class of that division. And that that group, they're going to beat themselves up. The Seahawks, the Rams, the Cardinals, they're going to beat each other up week in and week out. And it's going to be a war of attrition But you saw it on Thursday night that the Rams are built to win that kind of game. When Matthew Stafford's hand was banged up, they leaned on Henderson and they leaned on Michelle and they leaned on that defense and they got the job done. And it was Nick Scott who came down with an interception in the game's final moments to deliver a win on the road in one of the toughest places to play in the division. That's complimentary football. You hear coaches talk about it week in and week out across the NFL that you need to be able to win in all three phases. I know the Arizona Cardinals can throw all over you, that they can light up a scoreboard. I know that the San Francisco 49ers can keep an offense down. And you look at the Seahawks, they have playmakers on defense. They have depth all over the field. They have playmakers at wide receiver. But when it comes right down to it, I don't know that they can beat you in all three phases on any given game. And we've seen the the Los Angeles Rams do that a couple of times so far this year. So if you're talking about teams that can legitimately make a run, not just in that division, but really make a run in the NFC at large, I put the Los Angeles Rams squarely in that mix. On the other side, we'll chat with Atlanta Falcons quarterback Matt Ryan, get his thoughts on the Falcons this year. The toughest part about playing in London ahead of their game with the Jets on Saturday morning and really find out how hard it was to bury and move on from the 28-3 collapse in the Super Bowl a few years ago. I'm Matt Lombardo. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show. Inside, fan-sided, stacked in the box podcast feed jamie's log progressive the harrington's backyard day 11 4 43 a.m the tent i set up in the harrington's backyard to prove progressive as 24 7 protection has a rip in it but a little rain won't stop me mrs harrington says she totally understands 24 7 protection means 24 7 gonna stay a few more days to make sure it's hailing now that's fun Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back into the Matt Lombardo Show, and this should be a great conversation. We're joined right now by Atlanta Falcons QB, Matt Ryan. He's here courtesy of Tide. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Of course, happy to have you here. And, you know, just looking over your career numbers, you're now 10th all-time in passing touchdowns. You're probably going to pass Eli Manning in a couple of weeks here. How much attention do you pay to milestones like that as you get on in your career at this stage? 
Yeah, I, you know, I'm certainly proud of them, uh, you know, of, of individual accomplishments. But, you know, when, when, you're, when you're playing, you know, you, you don't really think about those things. You're, you're, you're just trying to, you know, make the plays you have to make in that game uh, to get the job done. And so I've always felt like, you know, if I worried about week to week and focused on, you know, just doing the best job I could do that week, the individual uh, accomplishments would uh, take care of themselves. But um, I am, you know, year 14, I, I am certainly proud of, of some of the numbers that, you know, I've been able to put up. And uh, it speaks to, you know, being lucky, staying healthy and, and working really hard to, um, you know, to be able to do it for this long. You kind of have the great mix there. You have the longevity, you've stayed healthy, and you've had some pretty great supporting casts over the years. You think about guys like Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley now, Roddy White. What are some of the biggest traits that have made those guys some of the most stable and dominant receivers during their primes? Well, they're, you know, they all have uh, unique physical skill sets, but I think the thing that's common, you know, amongst all three of them uh, is a competitive competitiveness and, and a willingness to work, uh, you know, to, to put in the work that it takes uh, to be, you know, consistent and ready to go every week, uh, detailed in, in their route running. You know, I, I just think all three of those guys, um, you know, are, are similar that way. And they're relentless about it. You know, they, they, they really, they don't let up. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons uh, each of those guys had so much had so much success and are continue, uh, continuing to have so much success. For sure. And for you as a quarterback, you had Julio on the receiving end of those passes for, for a number of years, a good chunk of your career. What was the biggest adjustment that you had to make this summer during training camp and through the first month or so of the season with Julio being traded to the Titans and your offense kind of moving in a slightly different direction? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I got to play with him for 10 years, which was amazing. And um, you know, he, he's an unbelievable player, great teammate, good friend. Uh, he's just, he's the complete package. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody probably impacted my career as significantly as him. Uh, and so I'm fortunate, you know, I feel fortunate for the time we had together. I really do. I was, I was lucky to, to be a part of that. Uh, you know, but there are, there are certain times where players move on. I had to do this with Tony Gonzalez, with Roddy White, and, and you have to make adjustments and you, and, you know, you've got to work with the guys that are here and develop, you know, the same kind of chemistry and rapport. And, um, you know, the only way I know to do it is, is to put in the work on the practice field and, and to, you know, kind of dig it out of the dirt, you know, find, find ways to, you know, figure out how, how to improve. And that was the mindset, you know, this past training camp was trying to get, you know, some of our young guys as far along as we could. And, um, you know, we'll continue to work on that as the year progresses. And one of the guys that's there is probably the guy who made Terry Fontenot feel the most comfortable moving on and taking the offer from the Titans. That's Calvin Ridley. What's he meant to your guys' offense so far in his career and to you as a quarterback, you know, through the, the past year plus? Yeah, Rid's been great. I mean, he's, uh, he's a really good route runner. You know, he's got incredible change of, of direction. You know, his ability to get in and out of cuts is, is as, as good as anybody. Uh, I think his confidence is continuing to grow, um, you know, and, and he's been productive. I mean, uh, he's been really productive uh, for us early on in his career, and I think it's only going to continue to grow. So uh, I really like where he's at. I think he's done a good job for us the first four weeks of the season. 
and uh, his production is only going to continue to increase as the year goes on. I saw a lot of your game on Sunday against the Washington football team and Cordell Patterson seems like he's been a revelation in your offense, you know, comes out, has what, three or four touchdowns Sunday, really seemed like you elevated that chemistry with him to the next level. He's a guy that through his career when he was in Minnesota and elsewhere, it seemed coaches struggled to figure out how to use him, but he seems like he has a great role in your guys' offense right now. Yeah, I think our staff has done a nice job. You know, he he's he's a running back for us, and, you know, we view him that way. It's, you know, we're going to hand the ball off in between the tackles, uh, and, and he's going to run the football. He just also happens to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield, return kicks, and and do a lot of other things. But, um, you know, he's he's a bit of a throwback, you know, as, as a player, kind of old school, uh, you know, impacts the game in a tons of different ways, plays, you know, all kinds of different positions. Uh, and, you know, he's big, strong, and physical. And he's really brought, you know, brought a, a great energy to our team. You know, guys feed off of him. So uh, I thought it was a great pickup for us this offseason and, um, you know, really enjoyed playing with him the first, first couple of weeks of this season. And Matt, you brought up Tony Gonzalez a few minutes ago. And before Travis Kelsey and George Kittle and some of the great tight ends that we see today, you know, he was there for you were throwing the ball to him in his final seasons, and he was really the gold standard of that position for a long time. How important was he to, to your development as a young quarterback? Because now you see teams all the time trying to pair a rookie quarterback with a dominant tight end. And do you think that his career really changed the way that teams view that position? I certainly think he he changed the position. There's no question about it. Um, you know, what what people are looking for from that position is a direct result of what Tony Gonzalez did. And uh, it's pretty amazing, you know, to, to know him as well as I do. He's such a good friend. Um, and, and, you know, to, to realize what he did to the game of football, he really, you know, he changed it. And uh, you do see young guys now, you know, you talked about a George Kittle or a Travis Kelsey, Kyle Pitts, you know, with us coming in. Uh, these are all guys that are playing that position um, and, and doing the things that they're doing because of, of the groundwork that, that Tony laid. And I was lucky, you know, to come in and to be able to play with him the second year of my career, second, third, fourth, fifth, you know, sixth year of my career to be able to go through that time with him and develop. Um, he taught me so much about being a professional, uh, unbelievable mentor. I was just so lucky, you know, to be around him at that time. What do you think makes, makes Kyle Pitts so dominant? You're throwing him every day in practice. Obviously, he's on the field with you on Sundays. Looks like a wide receiver, the body of a tight end, really versatile. What stands out about Kyle Pitts for you so far? Well, I think, you know, he, he's got a skill set that you love, right? You mentioned it, long, big body, can run, um, and he's incredibly raw. You know, he, 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 can continue to develop and get, you know, so he's, he could be really good. Um, and, and, and that part is, is really exciting. He's a sponge. He works really hard, you know, day in and day out. Uh, he's always trying to, to improve his craft. And, you know, I think little by little, he's chipping away and doing some nice things for us. Uh, and I, I anticipate his role is only going to continue to expand and uh, grow, you know, as, as, as he continues to expand and grow as a player. When you were watching the draft back this spring, were you at all surprised that they didn't go quarterback? You look at what San Francisco did. They have Jimmy Garoppolo in place. 
they take Trey Lance. A couple of years ago, the Packers, Aaron Rodgers is in the late stages of prime of his career. They take Jordan Love. Were you at all surprised and, and that they didn't go that direction in Atlanta? And, you know, how encouraging and how does that make you feel that they're so steadfastly committed to moving forward with you and building around you rather than looking to turn the page while you're still there? Yeah, I, I, you know, I wouldn't say I, I was surprised or, you know, I know I can play <laughs> and I You're know, showing it right you know, now I feel too. like I can play. Yeah. I, I feel like I can play, you know, uh, for a long time, you know, and, and my body feels really good. So that part of it, you know, I had the self-belief and, 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 you know, but you just don't know, you don't know what decisions organizations are going to make, what they feel, you know, is best for the organization moving forward. You just, you don't, you don't know that going into it. Uh, and, and, you know, so I was excited, you know, when we drafted Kyle, I was excited, you know, that part of it. Got to be fired um, up as a quarterback, having him to throw to with Calvin and all those other weapons you still have. Absolutely. You know, and, and I really think, you know, we're in a spot where one and three, you know, but uh, I think we're a team that's gotten better every week. And, and I think we're going to continue to do that. If we can knock some wins off along the way and stay relevant, stay in the mix, uh, I think it's a group that can improve quite a bit and a group that could be, you know, a very good football team if we continue to work at it as the year goes on. And you certainly have the experience, a quarterback of climbing to the mountaintop before. I mean, you've been in a Super Bowl and albeit that second half, it, it didn't go nearly the way you guys wanted it to. For you personally, how long did it take to bounce back from 28 to three? How long did it take to move on from that? Because, you know, you look at a guy like Tom Brady, he's drafted in the sixth round. And he at one time he wore a 199 T-shirt under his jersey as motivation for you. How did you get through that? And how long did it take to just kind of bury it and, and put it to bed? Well, I mean, I, it, it never really leaves, right? Like there's always part of it that you use as motivation, you know, moving forward. Um but the key is you can't let it consume you. Right. And so, um, it, you know, it takes some time afterwards. You're in a funk, you know, for sure. Uh, a couple of weeks following. Uh, but then you start to get back to work, right. You start to get back to work towards, you know, the, the things you need to improve as an individual. And so when I started training again, you know, I'm really proud of, of the effort that we put forward in, in 2017. I mean, we go to the playoffs, uh, we beat an L.A. team uh, in the Rams that, that was emerging at that time, you know, really good defense. Um, and then we go and play the Eagles and put and, you know, took them down to the wire uh, on the road. Really tough place to play in the playoffs. And we fall short. But, you know, they end up to go on and, and win the Super Bowl. Uh, I was proud of the effort of that team. You know, I think that showed that you know, there was a lot of resilience to fight uh, in the guys in that locker room. And you guys are playing in London this week. You know, you, you played in London against the Detroit Lions back in 2014. What's the biggest challenge of playing overseas and that everything that goes with it for that week? And what can you draw on that past experience to kind of impart on some of your younger teammates who might be going over there for the first time, not, not just to play football, but the first time being in London, period? What can you kind of impart on them as you go into this game? Yeah, I think it's, you know, don't don't lose focus on on why we're going there. Uh, it's to win a football game. It's not a field trip to Abbey Road, right? <laughs> Correct. I mean, it's OK. There is time building to the schedule that you can get away and you and you can, you know, see a little bit of the town, 
but when it's time to work and it's time to get locked in, um, you know, we, we have to do a really good job of, of staying focused on the task at hand. And sometimes when you go on trips like this, there can be things that distract you from that. And so that's the message, you know, to our guys is, you know, keep focused on what's important. That's getting the job done Sunday. What's been the biggest adjustment for you learning Arthur Smith's offense and, and kind of everything that he's been able to do in Tennessee? They used a lot of 12 personnel back then, and it seems like it has a little bit of a complex playbook. What's been the biggest adjustment for you learning a new scheme and learning Arthur Smith's offense uh, at this stage of your career? I think probably the terminology. You know, most of the run game is is really similar to what I've done for the last, you know, since 2015. Uh, so a lot of the terminology in the run games, you know, very similar to, to what I've been doing. Uh, the terminology in the past games a little different. The formations are a little bit different. So that part of it's probably been the biggest adjustment period. Um, but it's just translating, you know, words, uh, the concepts and how we're trying to attack things. There's a lot of things that, you know, I've done at different points in my career. So that part, I think, really helps. Uh, and then the other thing is, is the personnel groupings, like you mentioned. Uh, playing in 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 the type of personnel groupings he wants to be in, using a lot of different tight ends and a lot of different two and three tight end packages, and um, that part has been different. You know, primarily the last couple of years we have been a heavy eleven personnel team, uh, which is three wideouts, one tight end, and so uh, that part of it's it definitely been different. And I think that's something that's different for a lot of everyday folks is making the transition to the cold water washing machine. And I know that you have a great partnership going with Tide and their cold washer. Tell me about it. What do you have? What are the initiatives you guys are working on at the start of this season? Yeah. So Tide, you know, I partnered up with Tide. Tide partnered up with the NFL. Uh, the NFL has switched exclusively to cold water washing and they do a lot of laundry, man. So that, that makes a big difference. But uh, switching to cold water washing with Tide, you know, helps reduce emissions. And so it's good for the environment. Uh, it uses less energy, which ultimately saves you money, which is good for everybody. And um, I was lucky enough, I have a nickname, Matty Ice, uh, and shoot a commercial with Ice-T and Stone Cold Steve in Austin. So my nickname finally paid off for something. Uh, I, was, I was able to, to meet those guys and be part of this campaign. And I'm happy to be a part of it. That's pretty awesome. And, you know, I had Sterling Shepard on courtesy of Tide a few weeks ago, and he was telling me about this washing machine that he recorded his voiceover that I guess his voice lets you know when it's when the washer's done. You don't have that annoying buzzer that goes off. Did you have a washing machine that you recorded your voice in? And, and if so, give me a line. What, what did you have to say for this thing? Listen, my voice is all over it. And I, I, I would tell you when your spin cycle's done, it's time to take your laundry out, you know, all those kind of things. Make sure you're washing with cold. Um, unfortunately, my wife wouldn't let us put it in the house. She was like, I hear your voice enough. So uh, somebody else is going to have to deal with that one. There you go. Well, Matt Ryan, this has been a real treat, a real pleasure. Best of luck against the Jets in London. Best of luck the rest of the way. I look forward to talking to you further up the road. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate you, man. Just a great conversation there with Matt Ryan. And I think that his career trajectory is really fascinating. And just one of those moments, if you want to talk about what if, and if one moment in the NFL goes completely differently, I feel like that Super Bowl might be it. Everybody wants to talk about what if Tom Brady never existed, or what if Tom Brady got drafted somewhere else, or Bill Belichick never went to New England. But the Patriots are what they are, and they were what they were. They were one of the greatest dynasties in the history of sports. But if the Falcons won that game, 
And I covered that game in a previous life for a former outlet. And my editor at halftime, we were already doling out stories about the end of the Tom Brady era, the end of the Patriots dynasty. Now, they went on to win another one. They went on to play in two more after that game. But at halftime, with the Patriots trailing 28-3, to there were stories being written that that was it. That was the end. It was over. The obituary for the New England Patriots, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick dynasty, it was being written at halftime of that game. And I'm sure that we weren't the only outlet writing similar stories and a similar storyline. But you flip the script a little bit here. If the Falcons win that game, Matt Ryan's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He has the numbers and he's going to finish in the top seven or eight in passing yards and passing touchdowns. But he doesn't have the ring. And I don't know that he's going to get the ring in Atlanta. And the way that the Falcons have failed to build around Matt Ryan since that Super Bowl, I think is a storyline that flies under the radar a little bit because it's Atlanta. It's not a heritage franchise. It's not a major media market in terms of the size of the fan base or the veracity of the fan base nationally. But Ryan's put up some terrific numbers over the last four or five years. He's averaging 4,500 yards, has 107 touchdowns to just 44 interceptions over that time span. And in the years since, they've traded away Julio Jones. They've kind of now straddled the line that the Pittsburgh Steelers have fallen off that plank, that the New York Giants previously tripped over that plank trying to patchwork it together and piecemeal it together one more time with a veteran quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger or Eli Manning, the Falcons are starting to kind of make that same mistake. They had the opportunity to draft Matt Ryan's replacement and they didn't. They got Kyle Pitts, who's a real game-altering weapon, but you kind of traded Julio Jones at wide receiver for Kyle Pitts at tight end slash receiver with no long-term plan for Matt Ryan. And you look at Matt Ryan's career, I don't know that without a Super Bowl, he's a, a lock to make the Hall of Fame. I think he's one of the top 10 to 15 quarterbacks of his era. He's certainly going to finish in the top 10, if, if not higher than that, in two to three really important statistical categories. But when you think about the debate about Matt Ryan and his Super Bowl candidacy six, seven, eight years down the line, if he has that Super Bowl ring and those numbers, there's no question he gets in. Now I'm not so sure. And the Falcons the rest of the way, you know, I almost feel like Matt Ryan, these last 14 games or so, it's an audition for him, not just in Atlanta, but to all of the other teams they are going to be needing quarterbacks. So there's only one Aaron Rodgers who's going to be on the move. There's only one Russell Wilson who might or might not be traded somewhere this coming offseason. And it's not a great quarterback draft class. So if the Falcons don't believe that Matt Ryan is their answer in 2024 and 2025, They'd be much better served trading him to the Denver Broncos, who you drop Matt Ryan into that situation. He's probably going to have you win 12 or 13 games with all the weapons around him and that great defense. You move Matt Ryan to the Miami Dolphins with all of those weapons in a division that's really there for the taking other than the Buffalo Bills. And I think they'd be a really interesting situation, an interesting sleeper Super Bowl team. And the Houston Texans, you're kind of walking into a rebuild, but you're getting away from the New Orleans Saints. You're getting away from Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, who I think still have one or two more runs in them. So there are a handful of quarterback needy teams. There are a handful of teams that I think Matt Ryan could go to, put up great numbers, maybe push for a playoff spot or Super Bowl, and in the process, bolster his Hall of Fame candidacy. And in the meantime, 
Sunday morning, no better way to start your day than at 9.30 in the morning watching the Jets and the Falcons across the pond. I know I'll be tuned in for that game in London. Keep it locked right here on the Matt Lombardo Show. On the other side, we'll preview the biggest game of the weekend and maybe, just maybe, the game of the year in the AFC. At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. We did it. We time traveled to yesterday. Wait, Progressive covers us 24-7, but we just created an eight-day week, and it's 24-7 coverage, not 24-8. We gotta go back. Are you joking right now? Shh, I'm calling them. Hi, I have a question about time travel. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome back in, and the biggest game of the weekend and one of the biggest games of the NFL season is Sunday night in Arrowhead when the Buffalo Bills visit the Kansas City Chiefs. It's really a game that carries all of the weight of January that just happens to be being played in October, but could, very well could and very well may, set the stage for a January showdown. It's a rematch of last year's AFC Championship game, and it just might be a forerunner and a preview of where this year's AFC Championship game will be played because the Kansas City Chiefs, while they're one of the more complete rosters in the NFL, they're still very much looking for their championship swagger. They come in at 2-2. Two and two. They've already had to go on the road, and they struggled and lost late against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. They got upset in the fourth quarter by Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers, and they have wins so far this year coming from behind in the second half against the Cleveland Browns and then running the Philadelphia Eagles out of Lincoln Financial Field last week. But it's a team that has an explosive offense and a defense that can't really stop anybody. And that's where you look at the Buffalo Bills, a team that went into Arrowhead and showed that they could hang for, for a stretch during that championship game before all the explosiveness of the Chiefs offense really overwhelmed them late in that game. But they're a team that comes in. They're the number one ranked defense in DVOA in the league. They're a top five defense. No defense has allowed fewer than 11.9 points per game that the Bills have allowed. And they've made a little bit of history already having shut out two of their first four opponents and the third team that ever did it, with 1991 Washington and the 2000 Baltimore Ravens being the other two, they both went on to win the Super Bowl, and the Bills are trying to join that club. And they take a really big leap towards going to and winning the Super Bowl if they can take the leap and win this game on Sunday night. And the Chiefs, on the other hand, if you want to talk about defense and whether or not defense is going to win this game, Kansas City enters this game allowing 31.3 points per game. Now, they're scoring just over 33, but if you give Josh Allen the opportunity with Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox and all of the weapons that they have, you give him a shot at a defense that's allowing 34 points per game, I think I like my chances there if I'm the Bills. Now, from a Buffalo standpoint, you have to look at this a little bit realistically, right? Because the Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes aren't the Miami Dolphins without Tua Tagovailoa. They're not the Houston Texans, and they're certainly not Taylor Heineke and the Washington football team who have been a little bit overrated and, and very much underperformed. But those are the teams that the Bills have beat since they kind of tripped out of the shoot in week one against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Buffalo. But keep in mind, this is a defense that has just absolutely gone out there every week and done their job. And one of the big matchups to watch in this game, and certainly one that has the chance to define the outcome, 
is Tredavious White against Tyreek Hill. Tariq Hill is one of the fastest, most explosive wide receivers in the league, but quarterbacks going up against Tredavious White so far this season have a passer rating that's just 81.7. So throwing to that side of the field is kind of like throwing into a black hole, and you gotta believe that they're going to shade a safety, whether it's Micah Hyde or whomever, over to that side of the field. But if that's the case, then you gotta worry about Travis Kelsey busting out underneath and getting a big play when it comes to yards after the catch. So I look at this game, and there's no question the Bills have the defense to take down the Chiefs. The biggest question mark here is, can the Chiefs pass this test? Can they go out against this defense with playmakers at all three levels that has just gone out and punched teams in the mouth week after week after week? Can they put it all together on both sides of the ball? And I don't know that they can at this stage. They're going to get better. Andy Reid's teams typically get better in November and December. We've seen it going all the way back to his time in Philadelphia when it was almost a tradition unlike any other where the Eagles would rattle off four, five, six, seven, eight straight wins from November through December. And I think the Chiefs are going to be very similar to that this year because their offensive line is going to get better the more reps they get together. And defensively, they got to start making some adjustments because they got to start getting after the quarterback. They've had next to no pass rush through the first month of the season. And this would be a good time against Josh Allen, who's mobile enough, but also has a rocket launcher attached to his right shoulder. This is the opportunity to go out there if you're Kansas City and make a statement because it doesn't get any easier from here. Unlike the Bills, whose opponents the rest of the way have a 345 winning percentage, the Kansas City Chiefs, if they lose this game, their road to home field advantage in the number one seed gets a lot more difficult because coming out of this contest, Kansas City's opponents the rest of the season have a 635 winning percentage. Here's who they still have to beat. They still have to go through the Dallas Cowboys, and Dak Prescott has really played his way into the MVP conversation, especially after what he did against the Carolina Panthers and the NFL's number one defense last week, throwing four touchdowns. They have to play Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. They still have to play Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers one more time, having already lost to him once this year. So it is no easy road. They still have to play the the Giants. That's an easy game for them by comparison. They still get to play the Pittsburgh Steelers, and it looks like Ben Roethlisberger is cooked, done, and finished. But if you want to look at the Buffalo Bills, they get the Jacksonville Jaguars, who are an absolute mess on and off the field. Urban Meyer not taking the team flight home. You look at what happened in that bar, whatever went on there. And on the field, they just have no identity. They, they, they can't put up points. They can't stop anybody. They lost on the road in last-second fashion last week against the Cincinnati Bengals. You get the Jets twice, who still, with Zach Wilson, it was a nice win for them beating the Tennessee Titans. But you beat the Titans at home without A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. I don't know that they're exactly for real. But the Bills get the Jets twice. They still get to play the Atlanta Falcons. They get the Indianapolis Colts, who are wildly inconsistent. They get the Dolphins, and they get two games against the New England Patriots and our rookie quarterback in Mac Jones. And I thought Mac Jones played really well on Sunday night in the rain against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But if you're Sean McDermott and you have the chance to pin your ears back and get after Mac Jones and, you know, use some stunts up front with Ed Oliver and some of the other pieces you have along that defensive line... I'm salivating. So I look at that schedule the rest of the way for the Bills. And if they win this game, 
they're the team to beat because they would then have a two-game lead coming out of Sunday night on the Kansas City Chiefs. They'd have the tiebreaker on the Kansas City Chiefs, having beaten them head-to-head. And here's why that's so important. It's so important because we know what Patrick Mahomes is capable of in January. We've seen him, even with a busted foot, put the Kansas City Chiefs on his back late in a game against the Cleveland Browns last year. We saw what he did, still banged up against the Bills in the AFC Championship game last season. We saw what he did in the second half coming from behind in the Super Bowl against the San Francisco 49ers two years ago. You know how dangerous Patrick Mahomes is in the postseason. But here's the rub. He's never had to play a playoff game outside of Arrowhead. He's never had to go on the road to a Baltimore or to a Buffalo or to a Tennessee or anybody who might be in the mix in January in the postseason. But a win on Sunday night by the Bills is a big step towards forcing that to happen for the first time. Make no mistake about it. This is the biggest game for the Buffalo Bills. Since they walked off the field in Super Bowl twenty-seven, having lost to the Dallas Cowboys after the 1993 season. This is it. This is a game where it's a plant-your-flag moment for the Bills. There was all the talk last year about them making the leap. There was all of the excitement about them going to the AFC Championship game. But if you knock off the Kansas City Chiefs, this is a signature win of the Sean McDermott era. It gets you into the driver's seat and into the catbird seat in the race for home field advantage this year. But from a Kansas City Chiefs perspective, I think this game is more important. I think that if you're the Chiefs, you simply cannot afford to lose this game based on the schedule that you have the rest of the way. And and look, the AFC West, we've seen it now with the way that the Las Vegas Raiders have played so far this season. We now see some question marks with the Denver Broncos without Teddy Bridgewater. But that defense is a stifling defense. We've seen what they've been able to do through the first month of the season. And Justin Herbert's getting better every week. The Chargers are getting better every week. You watch them on Monday night against the Raiders. And they look like a team that's capable of making a Super Bowl run of their own. So you look at just within the AFC West, and you look at the remaining schedule for the Kansas City Chiefs, they need this game much more than the Buffalo Bills do. They don't know what Patrick Mahomes is outside of Arrowhead. You can't continue to lose conference games. And this would be the third AFC loss, the third conference loss for the Kansas City Chiefs this season if the Bills go in and pull off this upset. I think it's going to be a really fascinating game, and I really don't see a great discrepancy in talent when I look at these two offenses. A lot of weapons on both sides of the ball, two of the top five or ten quarterbacks in the league, maybe even top three when you talk about Mahomes and Josh Allen, but it comes down to the defenses. The Bills are playing championship defense right now, and the Chiefs have no identity on that side of the ball. And if you're going to go to a Super Bowl, if you're going to be considered the Super Bowl favorite out of the AFC, you need to be dominant in all three phases right now. The Bills have done it, albeit against lesser competition. But the Chiefs' defense just might be what does them in in this game and makes their path back to the Super Bowl all the more difficult. One more game I'm really excited about on the other side of the bracket in the NFC West. Talk about two dominant divisions. The NFC West and the AFC West are playing some of the best football that we've seen in years. Whoever comes out of those two divisions are really going to have earned it. We touched on it a little bit in the first half of the show, 
But I can't wait to see what Kyler Murray does against the San Francisco 49ers. He's playing like an MVP, already close to 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns, four interceptions. They don't just go into L.A. last week and beat the Rams. And there's a lot of talk about Matthew Stafford being the MVP. There's a lot of talk about the Los Angeles Rams going to the NFC Championship game. The Cardinals blew them out. They beat them 37-20 in their building. And I think that this game against the San Francisco 49ers isn't just the biggest test that we've seen so far for Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, but I think we're going to find out just how legitimate Kyler Murray is or isn't against that defense and that front seven. That's a great game. I can't wait to see how it plays out. There are a lot of really good games this weekend, as there is every week in the NFL. This has been a really fun show. Thanks to Matt Ryan. Thank you to Tide for making that connection. And of course, thank you to Fanside. It's Cole Thompson, who's just instrumental in putting this podcast together each and every week. If you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe in the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, Spreaker, YouTube, all of your favorite podcast platforms to the Stacking the Box NFL podcast. And if you really love it, if you like what you hear, please leave those five-star reviews in the Apple Podcast Store and mention the Matt Lombardo Show. Let me know what you like, what you don't like. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Lombardo NFL. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Enjoy the games. I'm Matt Lombardo. I'll talk to you next week right here on the Matt Lombardo Show inside Fansided Stack in the Box podcast feed. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Play season-long best ball, fantasy drafts where you only focus on the most fun part of fantasy, drafting your team. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. Underdog handles the rest for you. No waivers, trades, or setting your lineups each week. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100. Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply.